are not in third grade. You know, when you talk about Iowa, what else is there? It's Iowa. You know, there, there's like one city. It's like when you talk about Oklahoma, there's one city. It's Oklahoma City. Then there's Tulsa. Everything else is a village or a town. Like, that's, that's I, I, I grew up there a lot, so I, I could say that. But it's, in Iowa, it's, it's Iowa. <laughs> there's only, there's only one airport probably. I don't, I don't know. Um, whatever. And what's that? Lots of corn? Yeah, there's, there's lots of corn in Iowa. Uh, I've driven through a lot of those cornfields. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them open to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, we are going to finish chapter 6 today. I think we have spent several weeks in this chapter. In fact, uh, one of my children gave me great input on how we could start making through the book of Hebrews a little bit faster. And uh, so I had some very helpful tips given to me recently that would greatly improve my preaching, I was told. Um, so we will, we will see what happens there. Um, this will be the last message that we do in the book of Hebrews until September. We're going to take a little bit of a break. I know everyone's like, oh, we're finally getting to Melchizedek. We're going to finally figure out who this guy is. Nope. But, um, but I really look forward to coming back and starting it in September. Um, we, for the next four weeks, actually, I won't be preaching for the next four weeks. Chris, and we're going to have Ozon here, and Bobby's going to be here. I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break because I'll be on a couple vacations, and then also just taking care of some other things here at the church. And then when we come, when I come back, we're going to be preaching through, um, through biblical community, as we get ready to start table groups back up, we're going, to start, we're going to be preaching through some leadership, looking at elders and deacons, and the fact that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd of the church. As we begin to get ready to talk about our elders, they'll be coming on and what that looks like for 2022. Isn't that crazy? 2022. We're almost done. We're halfway through with this year. Um, so those will be just kind of where we're going at the moment. Um, but I'm excited that this is the last message uh, that we're going to do. It's just a good place to pause. Um, we have been looking at assurance over the last few weeks as we've been in Hebrews chapter 6. And the author, the author has been like building a wall. And this wall is, ma is made of bricks. And it's made to provide protection for the church and to strengthen it and protect it against the enemy. And so the first brick that was placed down that was to give assurance to the church, we read in chapter 6, verses 7 through 12, where the author said, you can have assurance of your salvation because of the way you have lived out your faith. You love the name, you love the glory of God, and that's evidence by your love for one another. That was Brick number one, why you can have assurance of your salvation. Assurance, uh, brick number two was in verses 13 through 18, which we looked at last week. And here the author said, we can have assurance on our salvation because God's promises are unbreakable. And we talked about how we can have an unshakable faith in the unbreakable promises of God. When God gives a promise because he is unchanging, his promises are unchanging. And today, we're going to look at this last brick that he places on the top of this wall. It's meant to strengthen us, meant to protect us. 
And in verses 19 through 20, we're going to see that we can have assurance of our salvation because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so my hope is that this text uh, will, will strengthen your faith like an unbendable rod of steel. And that you would know for sure that you are saved and that you would not waver in that truth. And I pray that this text is also like an anvil. That it will crush whatever lies, whatever doubts, whatever struggles you might have because of the enemy regarding your salvation. And you would embrace the truth of what Jesus says and what he has done for us. This doctrine, the doctrine of assurance is meant to fill us with joy and it's to free us from doubt and unbelief. Um, I just want to hit on that for a moment. Like, it frees us from anxiety. And I've talked to, to many people, talked to many of you, and I know if you've been a Christian uh, who's been around the block more than once or twice, you've talked to many Christians, you've wrestled with the doctrine of assurance yourself. And there can be great anxiety, there can be great worry when we are not clear on this teaching. And if we're not careful... When we're unclear on this teaching, we can begin to live very safe and cautious lives. We can become very fixated on the things of the earth at the expense of obedience to the mission that God has given us. And so I just want to remind you, life is short. Um, in, our, in our family, so my, I had um, my Oh, sure, my great aunt. Uh, it was my mom's cousin. She passed away on Friday. Um, and she was a huge part of the family that we have. We have, a, we have a pretty big family. This next week, we're doing a family reunion. There'll be like 60 or 70 of us there. Um, and we do it every year. And so she was one of the, the main matriarchs of kind of the other side of the family. And so she passed away. Steph's mom passed away this morning. No, totally said that wrong. Steph's mom's sister, her aunt, passed away this morning at uh, 8.30 our time. I have a cousin who his dad's about to pass away. Um, Talked to uh, someone here at the church who they knew a, a young teenager who passed away this last week. My mom passed away last year. Um, There's someone else too that I just know. There, just in this season, there's just been a reminder of the shortness of life. And if we are not careful, we just think life goes on and on and on, and we can be so fixated on making much of this earth as if this earth is our final destination, if this earth is our final home, and we will do so at the expense of being faithful to the mission of God. We will make our lives comfortable, we will do great things for our families, but we will not be faithful to the mission that God has given us. And so I, I pray that as we look at this text, that we'd be reminded it's meant to free us so we can live bold lives for the gospel. That we can be willing to risk our reputation, risk our possessions, risk all that we have for the sake of seeing the name of Jesus proclaimed. And we would not be concerned with how do we keep so much here, but we'd be concerned with how do we make God's name known because tomorrow is not promised. 
Like, do you know that? Like, we, we can say that functionally. We understand that, but we don't live. Or functionally, we deny that. We know it theologically. Tomorrow's not promised. Next, the next minute is not promised. Every breath we have is grace from God. And yet, functionally, we can deny that with how we live. We just go on and on and on and on, and we forget that we're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim the gospel because there's no greater truth. And so I just pray, if, if you've been slumbering in your faith, which just be real, some of you are, and I say this to me too, this was very convicting, just kind of walking through this passage this week. Like am, I, am I understanding that my assurance is so solid in Christ that we can live so bold for his name that we do not need to worry about the results because our God is good. And as, as Katie read earlier from Romans 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Do you know that? We might know it, but do we believe it and live it? And so I just pray that God would just make the truth of this text real in our hearts. And it would just free us. Free us as a church. God has done such a great work in our church that we have such love. And, and as even as Jamie was talking, we do. We have such unity in our church. But let us make sure that we are also bold for the very mission that God has given us to proclaim his gospel. Um, so today, the main thing that I want us to see is that we have absolute assurance in our salvation because of Jesus as our eternal high priest. That's what we're going to see. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read verses 19 and 20. I want to encourage you to go ahead and stand. We stand here at the reading of God's Word because this is God's Word. I don't even need to say anything else, but it's, it's authoritative. It's inspired by Him for the purpose of correcting and equipping and training us so that we would live lives for His glory. So here we go, verse 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray. God, you are good. You are so good. You are so incredibly faithful to your promises, your unchanging promises. And Lord, we read that in the gospel that if we believe in your son Jesus and we confess that he is Lord and Savior, then we are saved and you seal us with your spirit. We are adopted into your family. We are promised sanctification. We are promised in 1 John that when you appear, we will see you as you are because we will be made like you and we will be forever glorified with you as we sit on your throne with you, basking in your glory for all of eternity, worshiping you with joy. Lord, that is our heart. That is our hope. And Lord, I pray that we would so understand the assurance of our salvation that not death, not life, not Satan himself or anything else in all creation could separate us from your love. May we know that. May we be gripped by this truth today. And may it set us free from worry, from doubt, and from laziness. 
In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So last week, we saw that because of the unchanging promises of God, verse 18, it says, we have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So he introduces this word hope right here. And now the author is saying, hey, let's, let's keep thinking about this word hope. And he wants us to do so with a picture. And so this morning, we're going to look at the picture of hope. We're going to look at the location of our hope. And then we're going to look at the basis of our hope. So it's going to go picture, uh, location, basis. So we'll start out the picture of our hope. Verse 19, the author says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So what's the question that we ask because we're good Bible students when we read that? What is this, right? That's the question. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. What is this? Well, as we read the text, we see he's referring to our hope. The hope introduced in verse 18. And then as he reads verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope. So the hope is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So he says, I want you to think of your hope as an anchor. So as good Bible students, what do we do then? We think of our hope like an anchor. So let's do that. What is an anchor? An anchor is a large piece of steel with these metal prongs that come forth from it so that as it drops from the ship, it's able to come down to the depths and the recesses of the sea where it will either dig into uh, the sand at the bottom or it will grip upon a rock. And upon doing so, it it will hold that boat sure and steadfast. It will provide protection for the boat so that it will not drift into other boats or it will not drift into the rocky shores where it will be crushed under uh, by the weight of the rocks. It keeps it from drifting in harm. And do you remember? Do you remember sec, uh, Hebrews chapter 2? What's the first warning that he gives to the church? You're beginning to spiritually drift. And why are they beginning to spiritually drift? Because of what we saw in Hebrews 5.11, they've become spiritually lazy. They've begun to slumber in their faith. And so he's reminding them about this anchor that they have. And the anchor is meant to protect us from drifting. And because it protects us from anything that's going to cause harm, what else does it do? It gives It gives peace. And it's because of this peace we can rest assured that when we're in the boat, we're safe. That it's not going to drift into something. It's not going to fall apart. It's not going to hit something that's going to cause damage to it. Now think about it. Just as there are strong winds and waves that would love to tear apart a boat, so there is also an enemy that we read about in God's Word that would love to tear apart our faith. All throughout the word, we see this nasty enemy in the Bible called Satan. And he wants nothing more to shipwreck your faith. And he will whisper lies in your ear so you will doubt the assurance of your salvation. He will whisper the lie, you are too sinful to be forgiven. God does not love you. You have done too much. You have failed too many times. He says, the trials you're in, you're experiencing because God doesn't love you. 
He's not faithful to you. He's punishing you. He'll say, if you were truly a child of God, he would not let you go through what you're going through right now. And with every lie, he's wanting you to doubt God's promises and the work of Jesus Christ. I just want to ask, have you, have you heard those lies? Do you know those lies and how dangerous they are? Maybe you have friends, family members, where those lies have struck a nerve in and they've paralyzed them in fear. These lies have shipwrecked many people in the church. But for the Christian, our hope is an anchor. Our hope holds us secure against the winds and waves of Satan's attack. When our heart, when our mind is caught in a flurry of turmoil and we feel like a storm-tossed ship about to be undone, we remember our anchor. We remember that we have an anchor that holds us firm against the fiercest of storms and battles that we experience in our souls. Isn't that good news? So then you have to say, how? What is, what is it holding on to? What does this anchor cling to that is so solid and so firm? And so that's where we go to the location of our hope. And so before we look at that, I just I want to remind you, when we start talking about like an anchor, like an actual anchor that a ship throws out, what does it do? It goes down. It goes down into the recesses of the sea. It drags along the floor. It digs deep into the dirt or it digs deep uh, or, or grabs onto a rock where it holds a ship secure. But now think about this. For the Christian. Our anchor does not sink into the depths of the sea. Our anchor is not subject to the laws of gravity. Our anchor does not grip onto mere rocks or sand. Our anchor flies upward into the very heavens itself. Do you know that? Our anchor flies up into the heavens of what we read behind, or it enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's where we're told that our anchor is. Which then, going back to our question, what do good Bible students do? We ask questions. What is behind the curtain? What is this curtain? Well, if you've been with us, then you know this, and if you're new on today, then this is... A little bit of an understanding of what he does in Hebrews. All throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is wanting us to see how what we look at in the Old Testament are mere shadows of the realities that we see in the New Testament. And so when we're reading about the sacrificial system and we're reading about priests and, and the temple and tabernacle and, and curtain, those are all shadows of a much greater reality. And so when we read those words behind the curtain, they appear in, the, in, in one other place, Leviticus 16, which is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And you're like, Leviticus? Because I know you love Leviticus. I know you do. You're like, man, if I could just go back and read Leviticus later. But let me tell you, Leviticus is an amazing book. And Leviticus 16 is the most important chapter possibly in the entire Old Testament. 
because it tells us how we have a relationship with God. You see, in the tabernacle or in the temple, there are two rooms. You have the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. And the Holy of Holies is this perfect cube. It's 30 by 30 by 30. And it is separated from the rest of the tabernacle by a giant curtain. And on one day, in a year, one man, the high priest, is able to go behind the curtain. And on that day, he will shed the blood of an animal on the Ark of the Covenant where he will atone for the people's sins so that they can experience the blessings of God and they can receive forgiveness of sins. And so what we read in the Old Testament is that there's a a Levitical priest who is able to go into the Holy of Holies one time during the year. But what we are told here is that our hope lives behind the curtain our hope is anchored in the very presence of god our hope is anchored to what we saw in hebrews 4 16 when we're looking at the presence of god it's anchored to the very throne of god itself this means our anchor is held secure by god's presence his might his power his promises if our hope was anchored deep into mount everest it would not be any more strong than it is when it's held onto the very throne of god behind the curtain do you know that so so now we have to say how did it get there like how did it get behind the curtain because we know that we have not climbed up through the heavens, past the clouds, in, uh, past the stars, through the galaxies, into heaven, where we have set our anchor. We did not put it there, so how did it get there? That's what verse 20 tells us. Verse 20 tells us the basis or the reason for why our hope is behind the curtain and therefore why it is so absolutely strong. Verse 20 tells us why our hope is unbreakable, unshakable, and unmovable. So here we go. Basis of our hope. Verse 20. We'll look at it again. It says, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So our hope is anchored behind the curtain because why? Because that's where Jesus has gone. Now, how is Jesus able to go behind the curtain? He's not a priest of Levi. And of course, you're going to have to get the bigger answer when we come back in September and we look at really this order of Melchizedek. But let me remind you of something. If you've been with us, let me just help you see the flow of Hebrews real quick. As we're reading through the book of Hebrews, Repeatedly, the author has begun, like in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, he brings up this idea of priesthood. And he brings it up, and then he talks about some things. Then he brings up the priesthood again, and then he talks about things. And then in chapter 5, verse 10, he's like, guys, I need you to know that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. This has utmost importance. This is why our faith is so absolutely sure. But then he pauses and he says, but I can't tell you more about it because you become so dull in the ears. 
remember, so sluggish, so lazy in your faith. So that's where we go from chapter 5, verse 11, all the way to where we're at today. And he's, he's exhorted the church. He's rebuked the church. He's encouraged them to examine themselves. And upon examining themselves and seeing, do they have real faith? He's now returning to this understanding of Melchizedek, where he picks it up here in verse 20, and then starting in chapter 7, all the way through chapter 10, we will not leave the importance of Melchizedek, which we'll talk about in September. Uh, But now you can see the flow. It's not random. He's bringing up priesthood. Priesthood introduces Melchizedek, but he has to pause because he has to have the church wrestle with some stuff before he begins to unpack it. So let me just say this right now. The Bible is clear that there's a problem with mankind. And the problem is that we are sinful. God created us to be in relationship with him. God created us that we would worship him. But because of sin, we don't make much of God, but we make much of ourselves. And we still worship. We are worshipers. We just don't worship God. We worship whatever it is that we want. We worship possessions and power and prestige and pleasure. We satisfy ourselves with the finite things of creation rather than the eternal creator himself. And you know how easily this becomes true in our lives. We become fixated on our house. You become fixated on finances, on your job on your relationship, on a reputation. I mean, just the list could go on and on, right? And all of a sudden, you realize, wow, I've been so fixated on this, I actually haven't been paying attention to really God's word and living faithfully to him. Because of sin, we give more attention to earthly things than we do the maker of earth. Because of this, the Bible says that we're under God's wrath. And the truly devastating news is there is nothing you or I can do to remove ourselves from the wrath of God. We cannot atone for our sins. We cannot achieve forgiveness on anything that we do. And so the Bible wants us to consider that we, that if sin was dirt, then we are covered with dirt. And every time we try to wipe ourselves clean, we're just simply wiping more and more dirt upon ourselves. That's how filthy we are in sin. And in the Old Testament, the way we see that, that the people of God dealt with this sin issue was through what we see the sacrificial system. There were priests. There were sacrifices. There was a tabernacle or a temple. And the priests, they would guard the temple. And like we said earlier, on one day every year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies where he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of God's people. In a sense, the priest would stand in the gap between the people of God and God himself so that through the shedding of blood, we could experience his blessing and his grace. But all of that was meant to point us and prepare us for the ministry of Jesus Christ. The entire sacrificial system is fulfilled in the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, later in Hebrews, this is what he's going to say. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Let me read this. Notice what it says about where Jesus enters. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are 
copies, or think of it, our shadows of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's so much we can say, but two things. Number one, Jesus entered into the true holy of holies. He didn't enter into the copy He didn't enter into the one made by hands. He didn't go into the earthly tabernacle, into the earthly temple. He ascended into heaven where he goes behind the true curtain and he appears into the very presence of God himself, which is where Jesus is right now. Do you know that? That is where our king is. He is in the presence of God, on the throne of God, where he acts right now as our perfect and eternal high priest. That's why our anchor is behind the curtain, because that's where Jesus is. Point number two, Jesus purified us perfectly. Jesus, as the high priest, made one perfect sacrifice. He didn't make a sacrifice with animals, which is why the Old Testament Levitical priests had to keep making sacrifices over and over and over again, which it says could never take away sins. But Jesus makes one sacrifice one time so that all sins at the end of the age would be put away by his sacrifice. And what is his sacrifice? It's his death on the cross. It's his death on the cross. That is why he appeared to fulfill every Old Testament sacrifice, to fulfill all the roles of the, of the priest, to fulfill what the, the tabernacle and the temple was meant to point us to. He offers the perfect sacrifice as the perfect priest so we could actually be made perfect and live with him forever. In fact, listen to how the author unpacks this in Hebrews 10. Notice just the way he talks about the offering of Jesus versus the offering of the priests. And every priest, Levitical priest, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The copies, the shadows. But... Verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being perfected. Do you see it? Do you see the magnificent beauty of that text? of why we have absolute assurance in our salvation, because Jesus is our perfect high priest who offered up one perfect sacrifice so we could be made perfect. And that is the hope that we have. That's why our hope is anchored behind the curtain. Our hope is anchored in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that when the enemy... And he will, when he whispers in your ear, you're not saved. You don't really love Jesus. 
these things in your life are evidence that God doesn't love you. We overcome those lies with the anchor that has gone behind the curtain. We overcome that lie by reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest who made one perfect sacrifice so we could be forgiven, justified, adopted, and sanctified, and one day fully perfected in his presence, never to be separated. Isn't that good news? That's our hope. Every day, this is the hope that frees us so we live for him. Listen, when the enemy whispers lies, we stand firm on the objective truth that Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest who has atoned for our sins and we are forgiven. Like there's no greater news than that. That's what everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to. Now, we're not even done with verse 20 yet. Like it gets, there's more to it. Look, look, at, look at verse 20. Look at the next word. Forerunner. This is a great word. We can't overlook it. So we, we need to say, well, what does this word mean? Now, forerunner can mean several things, but it can be used as a nautical term. And based upon the fact that he just mentions an anchor, which is a, a nautical term, it only makes sense that we continue this nautical theme here. And so one commentator said this, the Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars over which the larger ships dared not pass till the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and dropped it in the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm. Although it had to wait for the tide before it could enter the harbor, the entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. Do you see it? Do you see the beauty of what it means that Jesus is our forerunner? He's gone before us. He's blazed a trail into the very presence of God. And because he is there, he is the absolute guarantee that then we will be with him also. So why is our hope wrapped around the very throne of God, anchored in the very presence of God? Because Jesus has gone there before us as our forerunner, atoning for our sins, guaranteeing that we who believe in Him are forgiven and will forever, ever, ever live with Him in His perfect presence. Isn't that good news? But here's the thing. We've only looked at one prong. Like, like an anchor has usually two prongs. We've only looked at one prong, at the finished work of Jesus. There's another prong, the present work of Jesus, which, which we could spend a whole lot of time here. Um, but we've kind of done that over the past few weeks. We're in chapters um, like chapter 2 and chapter 4. So I just want to remind you right now of what Jesus is doing right now in the throne room of God as he sits on that throne as he is our perfect high priest. So what is he doing right now? Jesus helps us in our time of need. Go back to Hebrews 4.16. In fact, let, let's, read, let's read verses 14 through 16. Just turn a page back to the left. 
This is one of those moments where he, he introduced that idea of priesthood. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Do you get it? He went behind the curtain. Do you see it? It's the same thing. Behind the curtains, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So why is this good news? What does this tell us about the present work of Jesus? This is where verse 16 comes in. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus right now, as our high priest, has forgiven, has provided forgiveness through his death and resurrection. And therefore, you and I are guaranteed to be in the throne room of God with him forever. But he doesn't just guarantee we get to the end. He also meets us every step of the way. So at every pain, at every trial, at every suffering, whatever you're going through, he has gone through already so he would perfectly know how to give you and I grace. Why? So we stand firm. So we keep believing. So we keep persevering. So with joy, we keep holding on to the hope that is set before us. So we have the, the finished work of Jesus as our high priest. He made one sacrifice. He's done. No more sacrifices. Present work of Jesus. Now he meets you and I every day. In our pain, in our trials, in our time of hurt. And he gives grace. So when we hear those lies, you can't make it. And we go, we're not supposed to make it on our own. That's why Jesus gives grace. And he gives you and I grace every day. And when he says, if God loves you, he wouldn't have you go through these trials. No, no. When we get to Hebrews 12, that lie gets blown up because we read that God, like a perfect father, disciplines us like earthly fathers discipline their children. So trials are a real thing that the Father does to grow us in our faith. But here's the thing. As our perfect priest, he gives you and I grace to go through those trials. So the purposes of God are fulfilled in your life. And when we go to like Philippians 1.6, where, where God says that he will complete the work he began in us. How? Why? Because Jesus is our perfect high priest who gives you grace every day. Isn't that good news? So it's not just, oh, you'll get to the end. Good luck, however that happens. It's, I guarantee you get to the end and I'll give you grace every day to trust in me. Now remember, this church is hurting. This church has been under persecution. They've had their properties taken from them. They've, had their, um, their, their, uh, they've been thrown in jail. They've suffered for the gospel. They've questioned and so by now reminding them of the present and the finished work of Jesus, he's telling them, you guys can keep running the race because God gives you grace every day. And these trials, they're not because God doesn't love you. They're because God does love you and he's giving you grace to stand firm, grace to become more like Jesus. That's what our high priest does. I want to I address one objection real quick. I think I can do it quickly. We'll see. Um, it goes like this. Often, often there's an objection that some people will have to the assurance of our salvation 
And, and they'll say something like this. While God will never let us go, can we not, if we desire, walk away from God? So that, that's, that's the argument. And, and what they're, they're trying to make sense of, how is it that people have walked away from the gospel? Like, the, like, like we're here today. And, and odds are that there is going to be someone at one point that, that walks away from the church and from God forever. And we go, well, how? Were they truly saved and then they, they walked away? Now, I just want to refer you, three weeks ago we preached through chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, where we gave a host of verses talking about the assurance that we have. And we talked a little bit about why people walk away and all. So I want to largely leave that for to that text, so you can go back and listen to that. But the question is, let me just rephrase the question a little bit. Do we hold on to our hope, or is our hope held on to, or is hope held on to us? Do, do we persevere in our faith, or does God persevere us? Like, like, which one is it? And the answer is yes. No, really, that's, that's the answer. It's just yes. It's both. We like to have one or the other, but we need to see the Bible often has tensions with it. Like in verse 18, it says, we have a strong encouragement to hold fast to hope. So because of the unshakable promises of God, you and I can grab on to our hope and say, I'm never letting go. And in chapter 3, verse 14, we read, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold orig our, our, our original confidence to the end. The Bible's clear. We are to persevere in our faith. You and I are to hold on to faith. Amen? And that's what we do. But now look at verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's interesting, right? Like how it describes this anchor. So we got one end of the anchor. It's in the throne room of God. It's in the presence of God. It's wrapped around the very throne itself, held secure by God's might and power and presence, right? And then where, where's the other end attached to? It's attached to your soul. It's attached to you, your very being. The reason we have such great assurance is that Jesus has saved us, purchased us, placed his spirit within us, has given us a new heart, a new nature, that we'd be destined for heaven. And so now by his grace, we've been made into a new creation and our very soul is anchored into the very presence of God. So listen, the reason we hold on to hope is because first and foremost, God, by his grace, has laid hold of us. Do you see it? Like, that's why. Like, our holding on is not the basis of God's holding on. God's holding on is the basis of our holding on. The reason we hold on to hope is because first and foremost, God, by his grace, holds on to us, has gripped our very soul and says you are held into the very throne room of God behind the curtain based upon the work of Jesus Christ. We see the same truth in Jude 21. Jude 21, we're told, keep yourself in the love of God. Okay? Do that. Jude 24, now to him who keeps you from stumbling. Do you see it? 
We keep ourselves, but only on the basis that God keeps us. Our souls are anchored behind the curtain because Jesus is behind the curtain. Because he, he's given one sacrifice that has perfected us. He gives one sacrifice so that now he'd be our high priest and he'd give you and I grace every day to stand firm. So let me just, let me just tell you what this looks like lived out. Nothing can separate you from the love that we have in God. Nothing. I could read. Where's Katie? Where'd she go? She's like over here somewhere. There she is. She's hiding. I could read Romans 8, but she already read Romans 8, 8, 35 to 39. So here's the summary. Nothing separates us from the love and hope we have in God. Nothing can break the chain that connects your soul to heaven. Do you know that? If that can be broken, then Jesus is not God. There is no trial, no temptation, no enemy, no pain, no struggle, no person, no demon, no power, not even death itself, not even your own will that can separate us from the eternal salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us at the cross. See how this truth is meant to fill us with joy, fill us with excitement, but fill us with boldness that when we look at this world, we can say, there's good things in this world, but I'm not going to be distracted by them because I just want to make sure God's name is known. So I'll risk everything. And the crazy thing is, by risking everything, when we have this kind of assurance, are we really risking anything? We're guaranteed heaven. We're guaranteed the thing that we love most, God himself. So we can live as boldly as we want for the gospel, sharing the gospel, going to unreached peoples in countries where it is illegal to share the gospel, risking our lives, but in reality knowing nothing separates us from the love of Christ. I want to encourage you, let this truth just saturate your soul. If you have pains, if you have, if you have anxieties, may this truth just be like that anvil that crushes them. May it be that truth that turns your, your, your spine into a rod of steel, that it would be unbendable for God's truth. And may we be faithful to the mission that God has given us. It's easy to become fearful of man, but God has given us every reason why we have no need to fear anything in this world. Let me read one poem as I close, and then we'll take communion by Daniel Towner wrote many hymns and poems in the 20th century. He says, I can feel the anchor fast as I meet each sudden blast. And the cable, though unseen, bears the heavenly strain between. Through the storm I safely ride till the turning of the tide, and it holds, my anchor holds. Blow your wildest then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail. By his grace I shall not fail. For my anchor holds, my anchor holds. Let's pray. God, our anchor holds because Jesus himself has offered one perfect sacrifice so that we could be made perfect. 
adopt into your family and live with you forever. Lord, I just pray that everyone here would know that truth. I pray they've trusted in you and they would have the utmost assurance in their salvation this morning. And if anyone has not trusted in you, I pray that they would see the beauty, the magnificence, the extravagance of this assurance and they would long for it and want it and they, by the moving of your spirit, would confess that your son is Lord today and they would believe in you. Oh, Father, we praise you. We praise you for salvation. We praise you for assurance. May this doctrine fill us with joy. May it strengthen us. And may we go boldly into this world, knowing that whatever comes our way, whatever storm hits us, we are held firm by the anchor that's gone behind the curtain. In your name, Jesus, amen.